Hi, everybody, and welcome to Bible Prophecy Radio for today. And I want to bring forth some uh, ideas and some insights that you might not have run across before. Not that I know everything. I'm not all that much in a bag of beans. But still, I would like to show you some stuff. Where is the first mention in the book of Ezekiel of a mark? Well, let's turn to the King James Version for this one. In chapter 9, in verse 4, And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city. Now that would be Jerusalem. Through the midst of Jerusalem, he says in the very next statement, And set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. Did you know it said that? Let's read that in the NLT for fun. Here's the way the authors of the NLT, uh, which is, by the way, a real translation. It is not a paraphrase. But he, they said um, the following words. He said to him, Walk through the streets of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of all who weep and sigh because of the detestable sins committed in their city, unquote. But my point is, there are two kinds of marks. One is a good one, and that's put on people by God himself. A mark on the foreheads of all who weep and sigh because of the detestable sins committed in their city, Jerusalem. And we should all feel that way. When there's an abomination done in our city or any city, we should hate it. We should hate the evil and love the individual. And sometimes that's pretty tough to do. But we sigh and cry because of sin that we see go on. We don't want it to happen. We know what happens in the end, and it's not a good thing. There's also the sign of the beast, the mark of the beast, that is a bad thing. Let's go to Revelation. Revelation, by the way, is not as scary as most people believe. I used to think it was a pretty daunting book. But let's see how many chapters there are. There's only 22 chapters. That's only going to take up about 10 pages. That's not very big. It really isn't very big. But let's go to chapter 13, which is the first mention in the entire book of a mark. And we'll go down to verse 16. Here's the way it puts it in the King James Version. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. Verse 17, And that no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Verse 18, let him that has understanding count the number of the beast, 
for it is the number of a man. The number is 600, 3 score and 6. Of course, that's 666. In the NLT, here's how they put it. That he required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. No one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Unquote. So we need to look at that. I need to study this a little bit and figure this out. Now is that the mark of God that we saw in Ezekiel 9? No, I don't think so. Because it says it was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. So this is not anything to do with God. This is something else completely. And this becomes such a large group of people that unless you're part of them, you can't buy or sell. That's not really true. It's not really true. Now... The reason I say this is because I believe personally that we can prove from the scriptures that the beast is none other than Islam. It makes good sense, as we will see. They will grow great. You know, it's like this. They have between seven and eight children each per married couple. There's no one as prolific as that anywhere on earth except the Muslims. That's just what they do. And many of them have more than one wife. They can have up to four wives. So at that rate, seven times four is 28 kids. Nobody's going to have 28 kids. We had three, and I'm glad we had three, but I wish we would have had seven. We're not keeping up with the Muslims. Christians are not going to be able to do that. Period. So, in, in my estimation, that means that all of them are going to be poor. They're not farmers. They're not industrious. They're nomad types. Basically, they live free. In other words, they're a nomad that lives in tents and moves from place to place, using the resources of the people and the land nearby, and then moving on. I don't like that lifestyle, personally. I don't agree with it. I don't think it's a good idea. And it makes their children poor. And So what do they do? They steal the thief cometh not except to, well, I'm just going to read it in the NLT out of John 10.10 10 where he said that so you get a real true idea of how he put it. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal and to kill and to destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, to me, I would rather have that than something I had to steal.
People steal when they can't get food any other way. I talked to a Muslim. He came up to my window as I was working and wanted to know about a piece of property, so I showed him all the data that we knew about it. He said to me that he was from Iran, and so I asked him, what's it like in your country? And he said, you know the uh, Indiana Jones movie? It was Raiders of the Lost Ark, I think. He said, do you remember that movie? And I said, yeah. He said, do you remember that scene when he was walking downtown someplace in a Middle Eastern country? Well, that was my country. That was Iran. And this is exactly the way the people are in Iran. Well, I don't think that everybody's that way. But nevertheless, I said, well, what exactly do you mean? He said, well, they were in the marketplace. They were going down through aisles on both sides of vendors. They were selling melons, and they were selling meat, and they were selling spices and dates and all kinds of stuff that they had made, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. But he said that the people were crowding them, and the ones that were crowding them were stealing from them. They were pickpockets. Every one of them were pickpockets. And that's the way he described his own state of Iran. Wow. So the thief comes not except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Who does more of that than anyone on earth as a people group? Now... I'm not prejudiced against them, but I don't like them. I don't like the way they operate. I don't like their M.O. Many of them are not nice people. They're not kind. They're not loving. They're not truthful. They're unhappy. They're angry. You can read it on their faces many times. And I've known several of them. And so... I've come to see how they live, and many times they'll do destructive things. Instead of opening a legitimate business, they have kind of underground businesses that really should not exist at all, selling drugs and other things. But anyway, let's move on. What else do Muslims do on the planet? Well, they kill Christians wherever they find them, and Jews. They're not good people. They're not trying to do good. They're trying to kill and to destroy and to steal their lives. I don't happen to like that. And if that makes me uh, a bigot, okay, I'm a bigot. But to me, they are going to cause the greatest destruction that has ever been shown on Earth, World War III. Let's flip on over to Luke 21 for a second, and I'll read this to you from the lips of Jesus himself. And when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you will know that the time has come for its destruction. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills, those in Jerusalem must get out, and those out in the country should not return to the city, for those will be the days of God's vengeance, 
and the prophetic words of the scriptures will be fulfilled. And we're going to find out what those are. How terrible it will be in those days for pregnant women and for nursing mothers. For there will be disaster in the land and great anger against this people. What people is he talking about living in Jerusalem? The Jews and some Christians. They will be killed with the sword or taken away as captives to all nations of the world. And Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of, Gent of the Gentiles comes to an end. And let's stop right there. Who are the Gentiles that are in Jerusalem? Well, that would be Muslims. I know there are a few others like Greek Orthodox and, uh, you know, people from all over visiting and, and such. But that doesn't mean that they're going to be the ones to destroy and to kill and to steal. That's going to be the Gentiles, uh, i.e. the Muslims. That's what they do. So the mark of the beast, to me, is two things. One, it's in their foreheads and it's in their right hands. What does that represent? What does that mean? Well, what's in your forehead is your belief system. It's your belief system. And what's in your hand? It's what you do with what you believe. And so that's the mark of the beast to me. It doesn't have to be a chip, a tattoo, or a ring, or an armband, or any of that. It has to do with what a person believes and what he does as a result. Now, Muslims, what they believe is that, and as the Quran says, kill Christians and Jews wherever you find them. So they come to kill and then steal their goods. That's just the way they operate. That's their M.O. It's what they do with what they believe. They believe in the Koran as if it were God's word itself. Let me tell you something. It is far from it. I have read the Koran, and there's not a good word in there. It's full of uh, incoherent sentences that really don't even finish. They're just incomplete. It's um, basically a disaster. It's a mess. It's a horrible collection of writings, in my opinion. Do I have something against the Muslim people? No, I have a, something against their ideology. It's their ideology. It's the way they do things. It's, it's their belief system that I have a problem with. Now, why? I believe that all the Christians that will become Christians before the return of Christ will be together. They'll have their own system, their own economy, if you will, so that they don't need to go to the Muslims to buy and sell. 
the Muslims are going to have their own. So what we're defining here is a very distinct difference between believers in Christ and the non-believers. Now, the non-believers in Christ that I'm referring to, obviously, are the Muslims. But there are others. There are atheists, obviously, and we won't go into that, but uh, it's a separation between those that believe in God and trust in the one and only true God and those that believe in foreign gods, pagan gods, like Islam. They have nothing to do with Jehovah except hatred. So as we saw in Ezekiel, God himself has a mark. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not indwell the Muslims. It just doesn't happen until they get out of there and repent of their sinful ways and become Christians. That's when they get the Holy Spirit. That's the true mark of God. And it is a fake mark when instead they are Muslims. That mark of the beast that's in their forehead makes them do things like lop off the heads of Christians. There's nobody on earth that does that more or equal to the Muslims, the Islamites, the Mohammedans, if, if you will the followers of Mohammed. But Mohammedism, or Islam, is doomed, along with all other world religions, including Catholicism and any other ism you can imagine. Taoism, Shintoism, Confucianism, all the religions of the world are going away. Now, where would you find that in Scripture? Well, let's flip on over to Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 11. Chapter 10 and verse 11 says this. Thus you shall say to them, well, let's find out who the them is. Let's back up to um, verse 10. But the Lord, this is Jehovah, is the true God. He is the living God. And an everlasting king. His wrath on earth, um, or no, at, the, at his wrath the earth shall tremble and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. They will not continue to live. Thus shall you say to them, in other words, to those that are perishing, the gods that have not made heavens, the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. Did you catch that? Yes, I'm sure you did. They're going away, every one of them. And people that were in those religions will ridicule their religions one day and say, how could we ever have believed in this junk? And so it will go away. 
God has made the earth by his power. He has established the world by his wisdom. He has stretched out the heavens by his discretion. When he utters his voice, this is verse 13, uh, chapter 10 of Jeremiah. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of waters in the heavens, and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth and makes lightning with the rain and brings forth the wind out of his treasures. And you can read the rest of the chapter. But God is the real one and only true God, and he is real. There can't be a creation without a creator, and there can only be one of those, and he's the one, Jehovah, God, Yahweh, Jesus. He is the one and only true God. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The Muslims aren't worshiping the one and only true God. They're worshiping a false God called Allah. And they're not the same. They're not the same. They do not worship our God. And we certainly do not worship theirs. So to kind of sum up a bit, the mark of the beast is really nothing more than an ideology in the head and what we do with it with our hands. And that's all there is to it, in my view. There's no chip, there's no tattoo, there's nothing else that you can need to imagine. It's, it's not as complicated as we make it out to be. It's simply the ideology that, that we believe in and what we do with it. Let's see if we can get more proof of that. Let's go to chapter 14 of Revelation. Here's another proof that Babylon or um, the Muslims, and I am using the word interchangeably, are going to go away. Let's go to chapter 14 then and verse 8. Then another angel followed him through the sky, shouting, Babylon is fallen. That great city is fallen, because she made all the nations of the world drink the wine of her passionate immorality. Then a third angel followed them, shouting, Anyone who worships the beast and his statue, or who accepts his mark in their forehead or on the hand, must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured out full strength into God's cup of wrath, and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night for they have worshipped the beast and his statue, and have accepted the mark of his name. Verse 12, This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, 
Write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit. They are blessed indeed, for they will rest from their hard work, for their good deeds follow them. So dropping down to chapter 14 and verse 14, listen to this. Then I saw a white cloud, and seated on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. He had a gold crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, Swing the sickle, for the time of harvest has come. The crop of the earth is ripe. So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the whole earth was harvested. After that, another angel came from the temple in heaven, and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, who had power to destroy with fire, came to the altar. He shouted to the angel with the sharp sickle, Swing your sickle! Now gather the clusters of grapes and vines, or from the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath. The grapes were trampled into the wine press outside the city, and blood flowed from the wine press in a stream of uh, about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. Yes, there is some destruction coming on from our God. Why? Because he needs to cleanse the earth from all these world religions and from all the ideologies that are anti-God and that belong to the devil instead. So, that's what's going to happen in the future. That is prophecy. Thank you for tuning in today to Bible Prophecy Radio. I'm your host, Albert Hardy. You can go to my website, itellwhy.com, and learn more. You can watch the videos that are there. I have nothing for sale. I don't want your email or any contact information or any of that. But those are there for your faith, for building faith in the one and only true God. Follow him and forget about Islam.